Good Omens, episode one, in the beginning. Hmm? Ah! Oh. Welcome back to TV Podcast Industries. We're here to talk about the first episode of Good Omens, the brand new series on Amazon Prime from Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. We're here to talk about the first episode, In the Beginning. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow acolytes. I'm one of your other hosts, John. Uh, Welcome to TV Podcast Industries for our Good Omens coverage. That is much better than fellow Deimos, John. I listened back to the podcast that we did (laughs) for our little intro podcast, and I was like, what the hell is Deimos supposed to mean? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what it meant. Well, it was Damien's, but I just thought I would kind of like council estate it up and call it a demo. I see, I see. And since there's no Damien in the show, it's Adam in the show. It definitely wasn't yeah. it wasn't even useful for the first episode. No, absolutely. So apologies, <laughs> Acolytes, yes. uh, for that slip of the uh, forked tongue, for sure. <laughs> and if you didn't get to catch our little uh, catch-up episode, I guess, our first TV podcast industry exclusive episode that we did uh, last time, we're doing a co-production this time with Podcastica, one of the best podcast networks out there. Doing our episode-by-episode discussions of Good Omens, the brand-new six-episode TV show. Uh, All available now on Amazon Prime as you listen to this podcast. Um, Yeah, it has well and truly dumped itself onto the internet through Amazon Prime. I always hate that word, dumped, or binge because it feels like you've just kind of thrown away something really good if well, you do that you know? let's say angelic hosts have fluttered it down into the internet waves <laughs> nice if you haven't heard of any of our podcasts before or the way we do our podcasts on tv podcast industries we're going to be covering our episodes one episode at a time talking about each individual episode of good omens this means that anybody who listens along with us will be able to watch their tv show whatever way they want to some people will be watching on amazon prime some people will already have finished the six episode series before listening to our thoughts on the show and also the show is going to be rebroadcast once a week later on in the year in BBC so if you're going to be watching it there you can happily listen along with our podcast Good Omens on TV Podcast Industries and we won't be spoiling anything for any of the future episodes we'll only talk about each episode one at a time yeah but I think we will be moving on to our spoiler filled review uh, in a moment but getting in contact with us because we love to hear your thoughts about all things Good Omens and um, if you've followed along with our Gotham TV podcast and our Defenders TV podcast that looks at the Marvel Netflix universe, please come and join us over on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash TV podcast industries. You can send your emails in and feedback on any of the episodes of Good Omens to goodomenspodcast at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the sound of your own voice, um, you can Send in your voicemail through our website at tvpodcastindustries.com. You can leave up to 90 seconds of voicemail over on the right-hand side tab of the, the webpage, and we will play your thoughts, ruminations, uh, and considerations back on the podcast in our feedback section. 
reminder for Derek to set up the ability to record voicemails on TV podcast industries because I haven't done that just yet. But by the time you hear the podcast, you should see that on there. If I haven't, you can just record it on your phone app of choice. Record your voice, whatever your thoughts about the episodes are, and email it to us at goodomenspodcast at gmail.com. And we're sure we'll play it on a future episode. And of course, remember, you can rate us, review us, and subscribe to TV podcast industries on any angelic or demonic uh, podcast catcher of choice. So you can head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other good or evil podcast catcher of your choice. Just uh, search for TV Podcast Industries or, dare I say it, Good Omens. Mm-hmm. You should be able to find us over on there. Uh, let's get into the details of the show. Uh, all of the episodes of this show are written by Neil Gaiman, who was one of the writers who originally brought the book to life, along with Terry Pratchett, who sadly passed away back in 2015, leaving this as kind of his final wish to Neil Gaiman to bring this book to life. Both of them had had some problems over the years with people trying to adapt their, their books and their writings into TV shows, and Terry Pratchett felt like it would really... Uh, be done well if he left it in the hands of Neil Gaiman. And I have to say, we're one episode in right now, and I'm really enjoying the style. He's nailed the tone, which I don't think many people would have been able to do, unfortunately. Uh, the episode is directed by Doug McKinnon, who is the director of all of the episodes for the six episodes of the show. So a very easy portion of this podcast for me to talk about because it's the same people every time. But John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. In the Garden of Eden, Demon Crawley tempts Eve and Adam to question the nature of good and evil, leading to their expulsion from paradise. Worrying for their safety, Aziraphale the angel gives Adam his flaming sword to protect his new family. Thus begins a long-running friendship between angel and demon and a complicated relationship with humans. Thousands of years later, the ineffable plan to bring about the apocalypse by introducing the Antichrist to an unsuspecting Earth needs Crawley to complete a simple task. Place the newly sweet-scented baby Antichrist with a visiting U.S. cultural attaché. Believing his mission accomplished, Crawley spends the next 11 years training the adversary in evil ways while Aziraphale tries to negate his influence. It's all for naught due to some unexpected influence from some satanic nuns. The true Antichrist is living happily with his friends in the small town of Lower Tadfield, completely unaware of his true destiny. And that's just episode one, spelling 4,000 years. <laughs> well done, John. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, it's amazing how quickly it rattled from the creation of the universe by God straight through to uh, modern Britain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, lots of uh, lots of time passed there and lots of different things happened. <laughs> uh, if you've listened to our podcast before, we'll say it once, I suppose, so in case you haven't heard them before, we normally take our top five moments from the episode, talk them through, and that allows us to get all the major points from the episode. We usually call them something related to the show, so this time we have our five signs of the apocalypse as our notes for this episode, right? Yeah. So let's get into our first sign of the apocalypse, which is Banished from Eden. Yes, the Earth, not only has it just begun, but Crawley and Aziraphale are kind of pottering around the Garden of Eden. I do <laughs> like the walled garden in and amongst the desert. It's cool, isn't it? I, I think rain it. hasn't been invented at this stage. So yeah. this is really good. And uh, yes, I think Crawley is admiring his little sort of work with uh, Adam and Eve and, and tempting them to scoff that apple. Mm-hmm. And as he says, um, it's not even a don't touch sign. I mean, <laughs> it is kind of really signposting just to eat those crisp, fresh apples. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah, I do really like that idea from Crawley. Effectively, he's saying, 
I think I was supposed to do this. You know, this is kind of my purpose. I am a person that tempts them. And if God didn't really want it to happen, he would have put this tree on top of a hill with a big don't touch (laughs) sign on it. You know, he would have kept it very far away from Adam and Eve. That's what he wanted to happen, you know. But it goes through this very, very well-known Bible story, the idea that uh, Eve takes the apple because she's been inspired by the snake that's just crawled out of the ground. And because of this piece of knowledge, God banishes the both of them from Eden. But I love the addition here that we have Aziraphale as well, watching on going, hmm, I have a flaming sword that might protect the two of them. <laughs> and in the background, has as Crawley and Aziraphale are having that conversation, I love that we see the lion coming up and trying to attack this newly formed family. And you just hear the slicing of the sword as Aziraphale realizes, actually, I've just given a weapon to two brandy new, newly minted humans going out yeah, into the world. Who, who have been tempted and are you know, the slow descent of humans uh, from paradise, I suppose. Mm. Um, I love the fact that he gave them heaven's equivalent of a Swiss army knife uh, <laughs> just to protect them in, in the desert. It's, it's nice, it's intercut with the pitter-patter between uh, David Tennant's Crawley and Michael Sheen's Aziraphale, mm-hmm. because I think this really sets up the tone of their pitter-patter of conversation, and it, it's really nicely done. Uh, and, you know, an off-screen sort of slaughter of one of the first lions in the world as well, uh-huh. you know, really does kind of um, spell trouble, uh, and presumably that destiny of the apocalypse coming just around the corner in about 5,000 years <laughs> or so. Um, really, really good. I do also quite like the fact that uh, Aziraphale does hold out his wing to shelter uh, Crawley from this new wet stuff that's coming uh, from the sky. Yeah, yeah, I love this. And, and all, you know, with this wonderful voiceover from God, the narration from uh, Francis McDormand, who's yeah, playing yeah. God in the in the show. It's really interesting having this this very natural, normal voice uh, over the top. It's interesting casting to put uh, put Francis McDormand, who is really known as kind of an everyone when you see her in movies like Three Billboards Over Ebbing, Missouri. A very normal, down-to-earth kind of woman. And you have her as the voice of God in the show. It's really interesting to see. Um, also, as you say, John, the actual dealings between these two actors, between David Tennant and Michael Sheen, are so good in the show. I love the pitter-patter between the two of them. I love the Crawley saying to Aziraphale, um, maybe you have done the wrong thing and I've done the right thing. How hilarious would that be? <laughs> and Aziraphale is absolutely aghast at this idea that he could have done the wrong thing. He's an angel. He can't do, possibly do the wrong thing, you know? <laughs> it's really good. How could he possibly trust that he's able, that he's always doing the right thing if someone's questioning it like Crawley does? So a nice little setup for their relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really good. But on to our second sign of the apocalypse, I think. Mm. The ineffable plan. Yes, I do love this because I did have to look up what ineffable meant uh, when I read the book originally back in 1990. And it was my first, (laughs) obviously the first time I'd ever read a word like that going, what the heck could that mean? I love how they kind of underline it. I think Michael Sheen makes sure that you go out and check out what this means in a dictionary. If they don't explain it to you well enough in the show, uh, it's an inexpressible and it's unable to be put into words. That's effectively what the ineffable plan means. So effectively, the ineffable plan means... Well, we don't know exactly what it means because we can't put it into words, but it's ineffable, right? So just believe in it. (laughs) Whatever we say could be, 
it is effectively is, is the whole point of the ineffable plan so nice little gag there about the ineffable plan totally writer's joke there love that uh, but we see this is coming from two lords of hell who arrive on earth we have Haster and Ligger uh, who come to earth to hand over the Antichrist uh, I love this moment where they're waiting for uh, Crawley to arrive or he now goes by the name Crowley uh, because he's no longer a snake he's now more of more of a raven more of a crow more of a uh, a creepy character but he's created this new name for himself effectively and uh, as, he, as they arrive to wait for Crawley, they're talking about their little stories and then they try and share with Crawley as if he's just another one of the, the demons of hell. But Crawley is much more earthbound than they are. He seems to be, yeah, he seems to not really follow their normal rules of engagement, I suppose, their normal conversation where they're trying to to say, you know, all praise to the Lord of Hell and he's kind of going, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. I, I, yeah. I love the fact here that they've, you know, the, you really get this sense that Crowley has gone native. You know, he's what's he? He's in favour of the apocalypse in general terms, but kind of bringing it about actively is not something that he wants to do. Um, you know, so yes, he'll kind of go through the motions, but he's not going to force the apocalypse <laughs> on, on this planet that he's kind of started to maybe have a a bit of a feeling towards you know he, he's joined he's joined the locals and he, he's gone a bit native and mm-hmm. so you know he he sees here in Hasta and Liga uh people that maybe he doesn't quite gel to in the same way as he would have done uh right at the start back back in the the garden of eden mm-hmm. uh, before he was the up on the the walls of, of uh the garden of eden with aziraphale so i really like that idea that he's kind of gone a little uh native it's not just native he's also become really adept at dealing with humans in quite a grand scale, effectively, you hear them swapping the stories of what they've done today, you know, to make the Lord of Hell proud. And you have Haster saying that he tempted a priest. And then you have Ligor saying that he told a, a politician that it was okay to take a bribe. And, you know, they say, you know, within six months, I'll have the priest. And within a year, we'll have the politician. And Crowley goes, I took down the network for 50 million mobile phone users in London. They're all going to be really angry at each other. We'll have them really quickly. So he's done this kind of mass scale takedown. It's very like the, uh, the king of technology that you see in American Gods. It's very like that idea where he's moved with the times. He's done something yeah. very different that none of these lords of hell would think of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's a real nice kind of uh, moment of just making that distinction between, you know, these kind of ye olde traditional lords of hell uh, and Crowley here, who, who's really grown up with planet Earth and has really seen how it changes and, and is looking to, you know, uh, cause mayhem and strife mm-hmm. uh, throughout the population. I think it, it's really good. I love the fact he's, you know, he's got Queen on, on the the stereo in mm-hmm. the car as he drives up, you know, the, the church, the graveyard, the, the baby in a basket, a bit, you know, like Moses kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um all ready to yes kind of put this into um into plan yeah because actually yes they're still not quite entirely sure what this ineffable plan uh is about other than this basket of babiness yeah and did you see the little gag that's going on throughout the rest of the episode that that crowley has taken down the phone signal for londoners all across the city and you hear him trying to make a phone call later on and he can't make a phone call because of what he's done, because he's <laughs> yeah. ruined it. Uh, the, the touch there, just in case you haven't read the book and you're looking at the TV show for the first time, the touch there about Queen on the radio, that's a, that's a little interesting gag that was in the book. Effectively, the joke in the book at the time was um, 
the greatest hits of Queen was so ubiquitous that if you left a tape in your car for long enough, every single tape would turn into Queen. <laughs> so now every song you hear on the radio eventually will be like Queen. So Queen is used throughout this series, I believe. They got the rights to use Bohemian Rhapsody from Queen, Queen themselves. And right now, with the movie and theatre still, uh, you're definitely hearing Queen as often now as you were back in 1990 when they released their greatest hits for the first time. So it's definitely. really interesting how that joke still works now. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I think the other thing here, uh, you, you know, you have um, Heaven has got the whiff of this ineffable plan as mm-hmm. well. And we get our introduction to the Archangel Gabriel, yeah. played by John Hamm, uh, as Aziraphale is uh, being asked to spy on, on Crowley and his plans uh, as he's taking on some sushi and again it, it, it's this moment where Crowley uh, and Aziraphale you see this similarity it's like um, that they've you know they've integrated into this world to some extent and there's there's things that they see about the humans on this earth mm-hmm. and whether it's through the delicacy of sushi and the techniques on how it's prepared yeah. and you have john ham uh here as gabriel coming down again i don't know what you see in these people this mm-hmm. is just like you know it's kind of like he's surrounded by mosquitoes or something and he just wants to swap them away and <laughs> it's a really nice moment between these two um, as well, I think. Yeah, I don't know whether it's whether it's that he hates Earth people or anything like that. I think he's kind of saying, "Why would you put food inside that that vessel of yours? You're an angel. <laughs> you wouldn't wouldn't possibly do that." And I love the the turnaround from Aziraphale where he goes, "But you're you like their clothes, don't you? So you've found something you love about Earthlings as well, haven't you? You know." Uh, so I love that there is that kind of tit for tat between the two of them, where you have Gabriel calling out the fact that Aziraphale has gone a bit native. And Aziraphale's also going to him, well, you have too. You wouldn't be wearing suits like that if you hadn't had the time to come to Earth and do this. Um, also, a little touch in there when Crowley's getting his instructions from the radio as well, when that's kind of the lights are going through his head and he's getting the instructions from the voice on the radio. That's a really nice touch. That voice on the radio is supposed to be Freddie Mercury. And it sounds really, really like him uh, talking kind of stepping out from his song that he's singing to tell Crowley his instructions coming up from hell, which I think is a really really fun It is really good. Also, Gabriel doesn't like tea. It's a Mm -hmm. gross matter. That's because he's American, though, not because he's uh, he's from heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to go on to the third side of the apocalypse, John? Yes. This has to be your favourite. It is the Antichrist switcheroo. (laughs) It is the three-card trick. Uh, I really like how this plays out. You know, um, this is... Uh, one couple, Deirdre and Arthur Young, another couple, Harriet and Thaddeus Dowling, for an American um, couple. Uh, he is from the American consulate. I think the Youngs are much more down-to-earth uh, locals. Mm-hmm. It involves a nunnery. Hey, nunny, nunny. Yes, <laughs> it involves a satanical nunnery. I did like the fact that the cross was upside down on the wall, and I was thinking, were they going to just like change it to the right way up whilst these people... Uh, turn up uh, you know it's in those days where nunneries and, and religious orders still involve themselves with the health care of uh, childbirth delivery in the uk uh-huh. seemingly yeah. so a little bit of a throwback that wouldn't necessarily be the case you wouldn't get a lady in a wimple uh, these days i don't think delivering and then finally we have 
the Antichrist, arriving in a basket, like a picnic basket, uh, ready to be switcherooed around uh, the wards. But I think Little did, uh, because of the ineffable plan, Little did uh, Crowley, or indeed Hester and Liga, uh, realise that there would be another couple in the Youngs Mm -hmm. turning up to have... Uh, their child delivered. And of course, uh, the Chattering Order of St. Beryl, unfortunately, allows Sister Mary Loquacious to be a bit of a linchpin here, (laughs) unbeknownst to them. And she may not be a full picnic basket. Yes, I think she might be missing a few sandwiches there, definitely. Uh, Just (laughs) just on the point that you make about nuns not being involved, I think they do make reference to that because you see Arthur Young goes outside. He's told to go outside by uh, Sister Mary Loquacious because he's not needed in the room. And that's when he sees Crowley outside and assumes that Crowley's the doctor. That's why why the start of the mix-up happens, because Crowley thinks he's speaking to Thaddeus Dowling, who he's supposed to be delivering the baby to. He's actually speaking to Arthur Young, and Arthur Young goes, of course he must be talking about the childbirth from my my wife, and sends him to the wrong room, uh, which is how the whole mix-up happens. It's not just because of Sister Mary Loquacious, it's also because of Arthur Young making the little mix-up in there. Absolutely. He kind of goes, hey, doctor, go inside. It's a great sequence of of events. It's really nicely done. I think it it just, it it flits between um, the Youngs, the Dowlings, Sister Loquacious, a number of the other uh, satanic nuns of the Chattering Order, Mm -hmm. uh, really, really nicely. You know, we have... Well, you would call them cookies, wouldn't you? As it's the, I can't remember the type of biscuit it is. It's kind of like got pink icing on, and it it's kind of just a. I can't remember what they're called, but they are quite famous. A lovely touch in there. They're uh, Christmas cookies uh, that you have that you that you would have left over from Christmas. This all takes place in about August, so the whole point here is that not only has Mary Loquacious got these kind of crappy biscuits to give to possibly a foreign dignitary, they've also been hanging around the uh, the orders. Uh, base of operations for the last eight or nine months you know, kind of thing so that's a lovely touch i love the conversation in there also one of my favorite scenes in this episode is the the um exchange of winks between sister Teresa and sister oh, Mary so i love how that's explained because we have the voiceover coming saying you know as methods of communication winks are not the greatest things in the world <laughs> uh, so what mary loquacious thinks she sees is this and what sister Teresa thinks she sees is something completely different i <laughs> love that yeah that method of communication with the human wink it, it, it's just so nicely done but ultimately once the switcheroo has taken place so the I, I was trying to actually kind of follow it, and I'm mm-hmm. not entirely sure I fully understood that it was ending up with the Youngs um, and that that was going to happen. Yeah. And even then, because there was the blue um, blanket and the red blanket, I was kind of, yeah, I was getting slightly mixed up, but ultimately, uh, the Antichrist does land with Deirdre and Arthur Young, and not with Harriet and Thaddeus Dowling like they intended it to yes so i I really like that um for sure and i love the fact that now that this switcheroo has taken place now that the antichrist is walking or should i say uh gurgling and 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 screaming uh, amongst us uh, i love that hasta returns to effectively destroy the order of chattering uh, nuns. Well, they've fulfilled their purpose. They've been there for thousands of years waiting for this moment. <laughs> and I love that he gives them the option, you know, either do you want your nuns to be told that we're shutting it down or should I just burn them all alive? <laughs> it's kind of the, yeah. the option that he gives them. I should say as well, I love the naming aspect of here that you have the nuns saying to the families, 
Well, maybe you should try Damien. Mm-hmm. Uh, Damien Young? Mm, don't know. Kane? There's always Adam. And then you have Damien Dowling. It's a little too uh, literate. Yeah. Uh, and, and in the end, going for Warlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just I thought they were like so good, those names. Um, so maybe we'll see a few more Warlocks. I'm, I'm so intrigued to see that the American um, diplomat's wife lands on the name warlock and thinks it's okay i don't know whether that's a little joke on americans there you know it's obviously if you haven't seen the movie the omen you may not understand where the gags come from here the gag all in all in here is all about the, the movie the omen where their child called damien is the antichrist reborn and he is a member of the american diplomat uh, corps a diplomatic corps so that's where all the gag is coming from here you absolutely expect that this is all going to end with the Antichrist, or let's give him his full name. The Adversary, Destroyer of Kings, Angel of the Bottomless Pit, Prince of This World, <laughs> and Lord of the Darkness is going to end off in America. That's what you expect to happen, because that's what happened to the Omen. So you assume that's what's going to happen. But of course, it's a comedy here, so he's going to go home with the Youngs to their little home in uh, Lower Tadfield. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Before we continue on, yes, we must also talk. There is a third baby involved, and I absolutely love the voiceover that says, It would be nice to think that the nuns had that surplus baby adopted. Wouldn't it be nice to think that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As in, that would never happen. But of course, it's a show for all the family, so let's pretend it did happen. Yes, I really, though, however, think that it probably got burnt with the convent. Possibly. You know? Possibly. I also... R.I.P. Sister Teresa as well. Mm-hmm. She um, does go the way of neck snap uh, from Hasta as well. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I do. Yeah, and I mean, I have to say... Uh, this whole sort of sequence around the switcheroo to the eventual destruction of the convent is just really, it, it's really lightly dealt with. It, mm-hmm. it just flits between uh, the different rooms and the different things and ends with this sort of explosion of the convent. Uh, and there's nothing more brutal than that. It is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably my favourite sequence in the episode. It has to be. It's such a big moment for the show, really, this arrival of the Antichrist on Earth. Uh, dealt with so well but with the fourth sign of the apocalypse it is a supernatural collaboration one you would not expect Mm -hmm. uh, between Aziraphale and Crowley yes the absolute collaboration between these two characters between Crowley and Aziraphale this angel and demon who've been on earth as adversaries for many many years but you kind of get this understanding that they have a relationship they have a good friendship between the two of them I love how Crowley is constantly niggling and tempting Aziraphale to follow along with him you know this whole idea that you know you'll lose the sushi restaurants you'll lose uh, little bookshops that uh, we, we hear Aziraphale has his own bookshop as well so he loves these kind of things these little restaurants he loves the music that's created on earth and uh, Crowley says to him you know well you've lost all of the all the great classics we have all of those people there and Aziraphale goes well that doesn't matter they've already written their music and Crowley reminds him that, well, God doesn't have any of that in heaven. He only really has uh, time for the sound of music. And you see the face on Aziraphale going, oh, no. If you say yes. that, if you say that to, Crow- to Aziraphale, you pretty much do whatever you want. You'll you know? only have celestial harmony. Celestial harmony. Celestial harmonies. <laughs> Indeed. No bookshops. Uh, no gravel axe. <laughs> only you've only got eleven years. I love the <laughs> fact that you know it's high end stuff for zero fail. Yes, uh, really, really good. And of course, they're getting drunk as well on really high end booze as well. Whilst Sh- they discuss this, shat enough to pap. Yes, he has a couple of hundred bottles still available to him. And then we have possibly the most disgusting scene in the episode where we have them um, sobering up 
I'd say, after yeah. drinking a lot of Chateauneuf de Pape. And it just pours straight back into the bottle. Does everybody know that that's how Shot Enough to Pop gets created and continued? <laughs> well, yeah, it's a little grim. It is a bit. It is yes. a bit. But they do agree to watch over Warlock at the embassy as mm-hmm. well. So we have Michael Sheen dressed as a uh, Yarp uh, kind of uh, gardener. You're uh, I'll mow the lawn kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, and you have it was slightly uh, American towards it the was end there, towards so. the end, wasn't it? Uh, can't do West Country accent, but right. it's kind of like a little uh, like country foreigner, like uh, hot fuzz. Is what yeah, a little hot fuzzy. Right. Um, and then, of course, um, you have Crowley as the nanny, and that's really good as well. I love David Tennant dressed up as the old nanny to Warlock. It was just so. So good. Definitely channeling, um, channeling his evil version of uh, Mary Poppins right there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> a lovely little cue from the music here for the for the show. The music's done by David Arnold, who's done a lot of music for uh, for Sherlock and those kind of things. So you have this moment where you have David Tennant dressed up as the nanny singing his lullaby to uh, to Warlock when he's, when he's in bed. That same tune was played over the top when they were having the baby switcheroo earlier on in the episode. The same theme was played effectively. So it's nice to hear it with its lyrics to to warlock telling him about how to crush and kill the world and take control and this idea for the next six years you're going to have crowley and aziraphale dispensing different advice to this child as he's growing up and hopefully negating each other's advice as they go along so that he will event- eventually end off as just some normal kid who happened to be born the antichrist <laughs> it's an interesting plan between the two of them. So they're both carrying out what they feel they should be doing with this child. And nobody will suspect that actually what they're trying to do is create a normal child uh, being born between the two of them. Yes, it is. The The plan is to thwart Crowley and allow him to grow normal effectively. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they do find out that heaven doesn't want Aziraphale to succeed. They want him to fail. Because they want this oncoming war. They want the end of times war to show that God was always right. And we want we see that Hell wants Crowley to make Warlock even more evil than he's making him. <laughs> because this is supposed to be their representative on Earth as Hell takes over Earth. So despite the fact that these two are doing what they should be doing, I suppose, both their sides and the, both the armies on their sides want them to do something different. Yeah, them. absolutely. So it's a nice little, yeah, uh, nice it, little idea. It is really good. Um and I, I think, you know, to our fifth sign of the apocalypse, that despite all their efforts around Warlock at the American consulate, or you have Adam Young eking his way out in, in the woods near Tadfield, uh, getting ready for his birthday. But we have the fifth sign of the apocalypse, which is name that hellhound. Mm-hmm. Yes, really like this idea. So effectively... Again, this is kind of something from many different rituals, I suppose, of the Antichrist. This idea of having this dog sent to him, the hellhound sent to him. I love this whole this whole piece because effectively you have Crowley and Aziraphale waiting at the birthday party of um, of Warlock, doing an absolutely terrible job of providing entertainment for Warlock <laughs> as a magician. We see Michael Sheen doing the worst uh, <laughs> impression of a magician that you've probably seen. Uh, really enjoyable fun. I do want to know what happens between him ending his terrible magic act and what happens afterwards, because Warlock seems really happy at his party towards the end of it. He seems to have enjoyed his party overall. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know whether it was something like Crowley just clicked his fingers and gave him an amazing... Uh, 
amazing party or not. I don't really know what happened there. But they're waiting on the Hellhound to arrive. We have, again, the return of Haster and Ligger back in hell. They're taking care of the Hellhound and making sure that he's exactly the right kind of evil before he goes by just throwing in demons to yeah, him. Yeah. And Ready to unleash easy. him uh, yeah. to find his owner and master, uh, the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. And he does. Um, and it is, what will he be named? I love the fact that you have Adam there, you know, on his birthday in the woods near Tadfield with Wensleydale, Pepper and Brian, his mm-hmm. mates all around there. And he's just like, I want a dog when they're asking him, what does he want? And then the hellhound shows up and he goes, I'll call it dog. And there's just this cute little dog with his little glowing red eyes uh, as he, the hellhound comes to his master as this cute little doggy. Yeah. Um, but I love that little flick of the red eyes. Just so, so good uh, to see that. But I, I love this moment where, you know, he's completely unaware of his anti-Christness mm-hmm. um, and he has his hellhound there, uh, really cute with the red eyes. But Doug, of course, has to follow exactly what Adam says because he's the Antichrist. And the reason why he shrinks is because Adam says he wants one of those small dogs. You know, one of those dogs that you can have a bit <laughs> yeah. of fun with. Not those big ones, not those evil ones, just a small little dog that you can have a bit of fun with and it just shrinks down to this tiny size. Really love that idea. So we have a, a demonic hellhound inside a little cute puppy now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, he comes to his master running and uh, yeah, really uh, great moment to see. Um, but what will be in store for us in episode two, I wonder? Mm-hmm. Now that he has named his hellhound, the apocalypse is on its way. Certainly is, certainly is. Really good episode for the first one. Yeah, um, definitely. Any particular notes that you have that we haven't talked about so far? Uh, my only note is that um, we, you have this moment where Crowley says the sound of music uh, will be, you know, uh, played over and over again for eternity again, putting the fear of God into Xerophel. And after he's been speaking with uh, two of the angels, they, they close out with lines from the sound of music. Mm-hmm. I'll climb every mountain uh, I'll ford every stream yeah. kind of thing. It seems like God's not the only one that loves the sound of music <laughs> yeah, in heaven. <laughs> exactly. So uh, really a nice little moment there for me. And one I have to call it because they kept it from the book. And I, it was probably the reason why I love this book so much is that Earth is created in 4004 BC at 9.13 a.m. on Sunday the 21st of October, which means Earth is a Libra. And also born 5,980 years before me, because that's my birthday, 21st of October. So I always like this idea that I'm the same, have the same birthday as Earth. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's significant. I don't know. Is there any other significance to the 21st of October? And your name begins with D. So it could be like Damien. (laughs) It could be. It could be. But there's probably a ton of things we've missed. We are recording this episode just a couple of days before the episodes come out on Amazon Prime. We want to know what you thought. We want to know what you saw in the episodes. Make sure you email your thoughts and your feedback about any of the episodes to us at goodomenspodcast at gmail.com. We hope you've enjoyed the episodes as well. I hope you've enjoyed this first episode. We know there are references because we've heard uh, some interviews with the director of the show. We know there's some references to Doctor Who and to Sherlock and to some other shows that they were involved in. So we're going to be keeping our eyes peeled for the rest of the episode, seeing if we see a little blue police box possibly uh, popping up in the background of some of the episodes. Um, But if you see any of them that we don't see, make sure you email us in. And of course, Benedict Cumberbatch does uh, give the voice for the devil. 
Yes, I feel like, Satan. Yes, I feel like they might be a little bit less obvious than having obviously David Tennant, who was the former Doctor Who, uh, in there. Uh, I feel like they may be a little bit more hidden in the episodes. Than I'm that. sure. So if you see any of those, make sure you email us in. John, what did you think of the episode overall? For me, I thought this was really good. I loved just the rhythm of it. Um, I loved Michael Sheen and David Tennant. I mean, these two characters have to work, and I just loved the pitter-patter of, of their voices. I mm. thought it was really nicely done. The switcheroo was a fantastic sequence. I loved, uh, you know, how it focused on Warlock only to bring it back to Adam and with the massive hellhound listening in, being converted into a cute red-eyed dog. And so <laughs> I give it four red-eyed demon doggies out of five. Nice. And a celestial harmony. <laughs> nice. That's a really good start to a series. Uh, getting a pretty high score there. Uh, only five episodes more to go in this series. We will be releasing them as we go through them, usually about two a week, probably for the next couple of weeks. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts about the episodes, so make sure you send them in to us. As we mentioned earlier on, pop over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com to subscribe to the podcast. You can email us at good podcast at gmail.com uh, or you can follow us on twitter at tv pod industries or over on facebook at facebook.com slash tv podcast industries yeah please head on over and join us on any angelic or demonic podcast catcher just search tv podcast industries or just search good omens mm-hmm. as well uh, and be sure to join us for this fly through the six episodes of good omens can't wait for the second episode uh, this uh, really um, was a great opener mm-hmm. and uh, I can't wait to see what burns in the second one yes we'll be back with our review of Good Omens episode 2 the book later this week and just a reminder before we go and before we finish up for this episode check out some of the other podcasts over on podcastga.com our wonderful partners um, Kristen has just finished off her coverage of Game of Thrones uh, with Jason over on his podcastga go check out that uh, some wonderful in-depth podcasts all about Game of Thrones Yes, and moving from Game of Thrones and the Whites to the Walking Dead cast, uh, which is going to be back with Fear the Walking Dead as well next week. So, yeah, great podcast there for all things to do with the Walking Dead universe. Absolutely, and they also have Strange Indeed over there at Podcast Get doing some wonderful coverage on their off-season between Stranger Things. They also cover Black Mirror, one of our favourite shows. Uh, Black Mirror's coming back with Season 5 on June 5th, and they'll be covering the three episodes of Season 5 then. So check them out over on podcastica.com. Yeah, certainly looking forward to Black Mirror Season 5. It is going to be strange indeed. Hmm, Nice. I like that, John. I like it. See you next time. Yeah, thank you so much, fellow acolytes, for joining us. Uh, We'll be sure to speak with you again soon. Bye. The apocalypse is coming. Grab your hard hat. Claire Claire Payne. Payne.